0: Welcome to Network Collective. Tonight, we're going to take a deep dive into multi-protocol label switching, otherwise known as MPLS. At some point tonight, I'm certain that Russ will describe it as mostly pointless label switching. So sit back, (laughs) grab your favorite caffeinated beverage, and get ready for a serious look at MPLS. Before we get started, I want to let you guys know that Network Collective is going to be at Interop. Interop is held in Vegas from April 30th to May 4th. I'll be speaking on cloud connectivity. Jordan will be participating in a panel about the evolving role of a network engineer. And Russ is going to be there for moral support. So we would love to. He's just going to be signing him. books. Yeah. He's going to be hanging out, doing meet and greet, and giving people stickers.
1: I'm so. pretty sure you just said Russ is eye candy. Is that what you said? He's said to eye candy?
0: <laughs> I don't know, I, no. but interpret it however you'd like. Regardless. If you would like to go to interop, you can use the code net 200, which is network collectives code to get a discount for um, of $200 for a full conference pass. So check them out at interop.com for more information. Now, Let's get started talking about MPLS. We're going to start with the basics. Let's talk about the three problems uh, that MPLS helps us solve. Who wants to start?
2: Oh, Look at that. She's like the school mom. Yeah, Yeah, like (laughs) here it is.
1: You're going to do this.
0: That's fine.
3: So, (laughs) be one of those nights. (laughs) when When we talk about MPLS, at least in casual conversation, I think one of the things that a lot of people may not completely internalize is that when we deploy MPLS as a technology to solve some kind of business problem we're typically trying to solve one of three things the first is going to be virtual private networking or vpns some sort of multi tenancy uh, across long distances so a typical carrier use case that we tend to see a lot in the enterprise environment at least from the perspective of an enterprise and then other technologies that i think mpls and in some cases mpls is not really well matched by alternatives include traffic engineering and on top of that fast reroute So those three things together, VPNs, traffic engineering, and fast reroute, make MPLS what it is and have contributed greatly to its popularity over the last about 20 years now.
0: Um, And an interesting use case for MPLS that I saw several years ago was a a university that needed to segment traffic for research and for healthcare, um, and they ran MPLS in their core. Um, of of their data center network, which was um, really quite unheard of in that day, but it solved this fundamental problem that you're talking about, a multi-tenancy. They were able to separate their traffic Mm -hmm. and keep uh, one division's traffic from stomping on another. So it's a, a perfect use case. Yeah, and it's really
2: important to start out by saying that a lot of people think of MPLS as a service provider technology, and it's not. Oh, Roger, here it is. Rust, should, it bring is. It,
1: should I bring out your soapbox? Set yes, it out so you yeah, can get up on fine. it? That's
2: fine. <laughs> so, seriously, I've, I actually did a presentation at LACNOG one time about this because I heard so many times that MPLS is a service provider technology. I was like, let me just do a whole presentation of use cases for so-called enterprises.
1: Right, but here's here's the reason why it fits in that in that model more often than not is because a lot of enterprise gear actually doesn't support MPLS. I know. So, so if you as an enterprise want to run MPLS, it absolutely is a valid tool, and I mean I'm sure we're going to dive into all kinds of ways you can use it uh, as we as we go over the topics we're going to talk about. But the reality is is that your
2: your hardware supports it,
1: right? Like this is this is you know, MPLS is, is usually supported by higher end gear. Um, And as you get into the lower end of gear, when you're talking about access or midsize enterprise cores, a lot of times the features just aren't supported or they're supported in such a minimal way that you can't do much with it. You think that's still true? Because I know that. It absolutely um, is true. So I'm coming. coming, Yeah. So like you're thinking about it from a data center perspective and you're absolutely correct. I'm thinking about it. Uh, I had a hospital. From a campus
2: perspective. Right. I had a hospital
1: that was looking at uh, segmentation. And MPLS is one of the potential paths uh, to provide some segmentation across our network. So, you know, for example, a medical device company comes in and needs to put something on their network. They don't really own that device. They're kind of just the, 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 the manufacturer of the device comes in, they puts it on the network, and they want to segment it off because they don't know anything about how that thing operates. It needs to call right. home. It needs to do a couple of things. And so they needed a segmentation solution. We looked at MPLS, but it was like, oh, of your stuff that you have bought, you know, like half of your cores support it. So we could implement it halfway, you know? And I was like, well, that's just not an answer. Right. So, that's, so the way to go a different bite, route.
2: That's so, two byte shim header. instead of four
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> two bytes. No, that's not quite halfway, but yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, but, but no, I mean, so, so the idea is, yes, I agree with you, Russ, like at, on the surface, like, yeah. like any technology, it doesn't matter what it is, it's not a service provider or enterprise technology. There's, it solves right. the problem. If you right. have the problem, the technology can work for that problem. But right. when you're talking about enterprise gear and I'm speaking, you know, primarily from Cisco background and See, experience, I
2: was trying so hard to keep the enterprise engineers from tuning out of the rest of the show. And oh, I just- know now you guys can just shut the show off. You're good. You've- <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: it's not true though,
1: because, because I think, I think even from the enterprise perspective, um, there's a, the conversation around MPLS as running MPLS and there's the conversation of, of using it as a service. And I think there's a lot of value in understanding how the underpinnings work, right. even when yeah. you aren't the run, one who is managing it or running it. So when you understand yeah. what's happening under the covers, then you can make better decisions about what type of service you ask for from your providers who will be providing it to you. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So don't tune out. That's it. Stay listening. There's more coming.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a good time to start talking about a little bit about how, about how that technology works. Sure. So sure. just to, just to, just for the record, because I'd like to say this publicly, is I agree with Wes one hundred percent that when we talk about technologies, technologies are tools that we use to solve business problems. Period. Now you can caveat that with your specific environment. I think it's very valid to say that there's a lot of enterprise gear and the networks that we built over the past several years may not allow the insertion, the, the easy and low cost insertion of technology at any place, at any at any place at any time. Uh, certainly not trying to claim that, but we definitely want to start viewing technology as the means to an end and not necessarily limited to a specific business space uh, because that's just how yep. it is. That's typically not yep. so. That's really the the summary of it. Um, I think it I'm might be feeling ganged up on no i completely agree as well yeah, uh, yeah. No, so i completely agree as well certain, Certainly, certainly the, the, the pragmatism of your argument holds today in the environment yeah. but right. from a design just like you said mpls was a design consideration for your environment which is good i mean someone mm-hmm. thought about it it just wasn't yeah.
2: somebody it. thought about it and, yeah that's and, it that's totally yeah, that's fine
3: yeah. Yeah. yeah um so i think it might be valuable to talk a little bit about how mpls works and stuff so one of the one of the The core building block of MPLS is the shim header. We casually call this a label, um, but just to be a little bit technical for a moment, when we talk about frame mode MPLS, we effectively add encapsulation and the reason we do that is effectively to stack labels to do different uh, things. And I realize that's an extremely generic and poor explanation, but it will make a little bit more sense.
2: <laughs> so so, so, originally, so, originally, let's even back up a little bit. Originally, we used labels because many people were convinced if you watch the History of Networking Show, and we'll eventually do a History of MPLS, we have people wind up to do that. But originally, if you watch the History of Networking Show with Tony Lee on it, there was all these questions about how to switch IP, IPv4 and v6 f- fast, right? It was hard to do because you have these variable length headers and stuff. So we originally went to a four byte header because it was faster. To, it was easier. You could actually fit it into a single register and there were all these things around uh, that kind of limit why it's a four byte header. So that's, that was like the original concept. And out of that falls the ability to do these tunneling things that, that we're going to talk about as use cases and things like that.
3: Yep. That's right. Yeah. Originally we, we do it for performance because again, on those 32 bit you know, CPUs, it works, fits perfectly into a CPU register. It can be done quickly, yep. et cetera. And that's great. Um, but the label value itself is the first 20 bits of it. And the only reason that's significant is not to turn this into a trivia show, but that 20 bits actually can become a scaling consideration because two to the 20th power is approximately 1 million, a little bit, a little bit more. So you have to consider from the perspective of your network, if you have more than a million TE tunnels or more than a million prefixes on a PE, uh, that's not going to work. You're going to run, it start to run into label scaling problems. So uh, regardless of how big and powerful your hardware is, there is going to be an upper bound on that label space. And it's just something to keep in mind for a lot of deployments, especially in like frame mode MPLS, where you're not dealing with, uh, you know, label space on a per interface right. like you would with ATL. And, and,
2: go, and going back in history again, this is why something like segment routing was not originally used because everyone assumed you would run out of address space at some point, label space. So you need to have local labels need to be local to a device rather than global across the entire network. So that's right. why. You
3: yeah, so I think it, I think it's just good, you know, we, we casually say label, fine. Uh, just keeping in mind that there's extra information, of course, MPLS packets can carry QoS data in three bits, known as experimental bits, typically used for uh, QoS stuff. There's a bottom of the stack bit, which has some important signaling, but we can talk through a little bit later. And of course, TTL to help prevent uh, routing loops. So that's how you get the 32 bits and it fits nicely and the performance works and everyone's happy.
1: Right, so I, I think, you know, you mentioned something there, it's probably worth talking about now. We, you mentioned, you know, uh, the bottom bit or, or the, the intention of the fact that it's the end of the stack. So let, let's talk a bit about stacking labels, right? So the idea is we're used to, you know, if you're not used to MPLS, you're used to routing on, you know, you have a source address, a destination address, destination address, and this is just where things go. Um, in, in MPLS, there's some functions with, with stacking labels. And I, I know this gets into some of like the possible TE things. We don't necessarily need to get into that just yet. But the, the idea is it's not just a single encapsulation. Right. Like we can we can stack these things up. We can do header after header or label after label, um, it, which help routers make decisions about where they're supposed to go. And, and each router is going to do something with that with that label as it comes in, and as
2: it goes out. Right. But you typically only you typically only switch on the outer label. Which is the, you know, that's it. Right. So the and, idea is- and then and then if it's your label or if you have if you have something that you need to, you would pull that, you would pop that label and switch on the next label up, whatever it might happen to be.
1: The idea is you can you can embed multiple yes. labels. So the idea is that while while a device will only typically pay attention to the outer label. Right. You can, that's you, can correct. you can have a stack of three, four, five, you know, there are limits obviously based off of hardware support on how many labels you can go. Um, but, but the idea is you can stack multiple labels and that's the reason for that. Know. And, with,
3: and within the context of VPNs, I think just like in the, the easy way to learn this, if you're an engineer who's worked with IP a lot, and maybe you're in an enterprise and you're used to technologies like IPsec tunnels or uh, GRE tunnels and things like that. There's nothing that's that you can, and, and for those who have done this, hopefully not too many, but for those who have had been stuck in a situation where you have GRE in inside, GRE, inside <laughs> GRE, you can indefinitely stack IP the same way. The difference is that the MPLS is a smaller encapsulation in the fact that it was more design, it was better designed for the stacking for specific reasons. And within the context of VPNs, I think the biggest takeaway is that typically every label that gets imposed in the context of a hierarchical VPN environment is a different level of abstraction. So if I have a, you know a service provider network and it's providing VPNs for a number of different customers, you know, there's a certain level of abstraction in that network, you know, a certain label depth. If those customers are carriers themselves for, you know, if I hierarchically build those VPNs down, uh, for example, using a relatively advanced tech uh, design known as carrier supporting carrier, just to give everyone the idea is that if I'm building this kind of MPLS from the core out and I'm having multiple service providers in kind of a hierarchical chain, the amount of abstraction will increase. The amount of encapsulation will increase exactly as if we use GA retunnels. And I think that's kind of a good way to think about label stacking within the context of VPNs is really just different levels of abstraction different levels of interaction
2: yeah. in the network. And and the thing to remember when you start stacking these up is not just the hardware tolerance, although most of the time, hardware tolerance really relates to how many labels you can stack, you can push or pop at a time. It's I mean, if you're switching a packet, you're only paying attention to the bottom label. Yeah, there could be 20 other labels on the stack. You're really paying attention to the bottom label. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have something that can... Um, if you have something that can that can push 20 labels, then you can switch it through your network because the hardware is just gonna pay attention to the bottom label. It doesn't really care what's above that. So um, anyway, but the one thing you do run into is MTU problems. And I'm not sure if this is down here in your outline any place, Nick, but it, MTU problems are an issue. I mean, I remember Eric Osborne did this thing in the lab once. He's now he's now um, an architect at Level Three, and he actually stacked up every possible encapsulation in an IP packet that you could just to see how far you could go. And he ended up with like eight bytes of payload in a fifteen hundred byte or octet. Yeah, I believe a packet m t u you know so you know you're you're good um with that, so you just have to pay attention to the m t u issues that's part of the reason we have jumbo frames and things like that is because providers want to be able to stack labels on top of the packet within the um within the um packet itself.
3: Yeah. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, and this is the tricky part. So what, what Russ is saying is, is generally true, where for example, when I pack, and I think you meant to say topmost Russ, not bottom, but yeah, I, sorry, your, top top most, your yeah. point's certainly valid, where we use that just like in an IP, if I had a GRE inside GRE inside GRE, I'm only going to look at that topmost one as the router in the core to make my router that's correct. based on it, yeah. just like everything else. But the thing that's interesting is that when you start to talk about, like even in IP networks, when you're doing equal cost load sharing and things like that, you need to take kind of a hash of the source and destination IP, many uh, label switch routers or LSRs will actually look at the VPN payload, not to make a routing decision, but to make a hashing decision on which path to use. So the interesting thing is even those core routers sometimes need to look 20 labels deep to only look at those IPs to make a routing decision. So it's very interesting. In the context of non-IP traffic, say for example, a layer two VPN carrying Apple Talk or IPX or IS to IS or whatever, Um, In that case, you would use the bottom label as the demultiplexer, again, having to look all the way through the stack. So there's some interesting hardware limitations that come into play. Uh, In a lot of cases, if the PE can push a PE, meaning the provider edge, the the, uh, MPLS network at the edge, or the router at the edge of the MPLS network, I should say, if that device is able to push the labels, you may not have any problems in the core. Just be wary if you have multiple links in the core, you both have to look out for the uh, MTU problems like Russ suggested, but you also have to consider label depth. And that's certainly very interesting. Now I'll tell you from personal experience, in some of the most complex networks I've ever designed, both in real life and labs, I typically have never seen more than five labels. And that was pushing it, that was trying hard uh, to have oh. care supporting <laughs> carrier with, uh, P, you know, provider to provider router tunnel stitching with traffic engineering and fast reroute active all at the same time.
2: Uh, so I mean, you can do it with SR. But yeah, with SR, really, with SR you can do it, but you have to think about it pretty hard even yeah. to get it with SR. Yeah. With
3: SR, it's certainly a different animal because every, you know, the way yeah. I look at SR is every time you want to make a specific turn somewhere that becomes right. a uh, label right. to be imposed at the head end. Uh, the more, that's the right. le, you know, the the less landmark and the more strict your policy, the deeper that stack will become.
2: That's right. That's right. Yeah. Segment routing for those who aren't paying attention, SR.
3: Just another way. In parentheses,
2: in parentheses I think it's, SR.
3: You know, Sorry. one thing that's interesting, I think a lot of people, I, I've, I've heard people confuse some terms. So when we talk about MPLS labels, there's only one kind of MPLS label. And when I say kind, there are different ways that MPLS labels can be allocated and advertised through label distribution protocol, LDP, through RSVP for traffic engineering, through IGP via segment routing, uh, through BGP with labeled unicast and VPNs. There There are a number, that's probably all of them, but there's a handful of different ways that you're able to allocate labels but they're all MPLS labels. There's no, oh, this is the, uh, a special BGP label or an LDP one. Yes, there are considerations about which label must be used at which time, but it doesn't mean that the labels are specifically different. They typically all come from the same label space. You can't reuse labels between protocols. They come from the same general pool. I just wanted to kind of dispel that for everyone to say, if you've got yeah. you know, a million routes in your BGP VPN before, that doesn't mean you have another million yeah. routes for your, uh, in your IGP table that you can withhold.
2: Right, 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 right. So, so a way of thinking about this for those who are only familiar with IP is there's multicast space and then there's unicast space and there's any cast space in your network that you may set aside. And the label space is much the same. It's just a flat label space, but then you artificially divide it for different purposes. And when you route stuff, you may assign labels out of different pools that you may not want to cross those boundaries just for you know just to make things easier for you to understand yep and Mm -hmm.
3: oftentimes yeah and and one of the big benefits I think one of the cool things about MPLS is you oftentimes don't even need to think about what the label values are the routers, protocols designed to support it will automatically advertise what appear to be arbitrary numbers just a number from typically 16 up to 2 to the 20th power uh, are gonna be allocated by the router advertised between the routers and unless you're troubleshooting something specific you don't really care about what the values are unless you're tracing yep. them manually. right so don't think that you need to like track on all the numbers all the time and you need to manually go in there and can tell routers to do swaps and pushes and pops that would be madness except you know, it's, it's never- on your
2: CCIE test
3: yeah aside from that you, you're okay <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not routing, switching. don't scare people, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> it might be on your surface. PCIe test. It's not a routing yeah. switching. No, I mean. So I mean, it doesn't <laughs> matter, right? Like labels. Labels are local. They get exchanged right. by exactly. any, any number That's of methods.
2: And yeah.
1: so, so if I'm, you know, if I'm router A and I'm sending a packet or or something to router B that needs to be, you know, forwarded via MPLS, I'm going to exchange via one method or another and we, and, and That's mentioned right. all of them off the top of his head, like it was nothing. Um, right. Right. He's going I'm going to exchange one method or another. Uh, and so I know what the next router believes that label right. should be. I'm going to put that label on and send it to him so that that router does what I, what it needs to do.
3: Yeah. Is that correct? yeah that's right i think it's i think we should I'll, I'll describe this a little bit better so the way when the way label allocation works is suppose i'm a router i'm in the middle of the network and i've got routers to my left and right i have a bunch of routes i've learned through let's say ospf i've got 100 routes for these other devices what i'm going to do is for every route that i've learned from igp which include which will include by connected routes but let's just ignore that for now for every route that i've learned from igp i'm going to allocate a local label so let's say from 16 up to one hundred 15, you know, that that space of 100, I'm going to assign those labels to the prefixes that I learned. And then to all my other peers, I'm going to say, hey, Russ, if you want to reach 10.0.0.1 slash 32, use label 16. And I'm going to tell that to all three of you. So any, if any of you send me label 16, I'm going to take that look up and I'm going to send it to the next stop towards that specific prefix. I'm going to repeat that process for the other 99 routes, assigning one label for each and distributing in this case through label distribution protocol or LDP what that label is. So like uh, Jordan was saying, when you send an MPLS encapsulated packet to someone, it's not, like, uh, it's not like we have to have this implicit trust that when you send me this label that I'm going to do with it or I'm going to know what to do with it. I told you, I told Jordan and I told Russ and I told Yvonne that label 16 was used for this specific prefix. So when they send me that, they're only, they're only sending traffic to me that we're using a label I told them to use for that prefix. That's right. how MPLS is designed to work. So if I right. learned all the routes, I'm going to say, hey, everyone, you want to send traffic to this destination, use this label. And you're just going to say, All right, cool. So whenever a packet comes in, you're all going to do that same process for all your peers. Let's say that label seventy-five comes into Jordan because that's the label he selected for that prefix. When he wants to send it to me, he's going to be like, ah, Nick wants to see this as a 16. Swap, send it to me. And then when it comes into 16, I'm going to take an action on it based on where right. I go, based on what my peer needs.
2: Yeah, the label is actually opaque, almost an opaque number to the sending router, to the transmitting router, right? It's only meaningful to the receiving router because the receiving router is the one that allocated it. So That's in awesome. reality, to the guy who sends it, like Nick sends me this label, I don't even care what that label is. It's just a feel, it's just opaque. I just stick it in a database and I put it in my label forwarding table or my label table, which goes down to my ribs. So when I do my micro to rewrite, I impose this label on the packet towards Nick, just like his MAC address, because Mick told me what his MAC address is, so he told me what label to use. I'm just gonna stick those in the layer two header, in the header, well layer two, whatever the header is for the packet, and I'm gonna ship it to Nick the way he told me to send it to him. I don't know what those numbers mean. They could mean anything. They could could be the same as your numbers too. They could
3: overlap with yours, it makes no difference. Yeah,
2: it doesn't make any difference. And this goes back, the reason, the, the importance of them overlapping goes back to the, we only have a million labels to play with, right? That's where this comes in.
1: That's really interesting too, Russ, because when you said, you know, like, I don't know anything, I just do what I'm told, essentially, uh, plays into some of the features of MPLS in that, you know, the the receiving router may be playing some tricks with it. And we especially when we talk about traffic engineering or, or, you know, routing traffic different than just standard IP method, right? It's not really the, the the router who's processing the packet right now. It's the router next, the next router in line that's actually manipulating that's right. Where things are supposed to be going, because it's it's just saying, hey, just send it to me this label. Don't worry about the details.
3: This is just how I want it. Now, when I get that label, I can do something specific with it. Right. That's and right. Especially within the context of LDP, this is why LDP and IGP go hand in hand. Is because contrary to popular belief, you know, MPLS isn't like a routing protocol, and neither is LDP. They're meant to follow the routing table. So, for example, it's you know, you can have an IP routed network. Turn on MPLS your paths across the network are still going to be exactly the same. Nothing's going to change other than MPLS encapsulation. Uh, When that router does its lookup to see where (laughs) to send the traffic, that lookup is based on the routing table. And if a packet comes in for me and I could send it to Jordan or Russ or Yvonne, and I could use label 20, 21, or 22... I need to look at my routing table and see what's the best path to that destination. And if it's through Yvonne, I say, okay, I need to send it to that peer. I need to swap label 22. need to do my layer two rewrite down at the line card level or whatever. And I send that across the network to Yvonne and she performs her operation when layer label 22 comes in. Uh, So there's no my
2: Yvonne be one with the router. So so Uh, just uh, just uh, as uh, as a uh, heads up though, I don't
1: recommend just turning on MPLS on your network, (laughs) right? Because, Because here's the thing is that these labels get added on top of your standard, Packet or frame or whatever it is that's being routed, right? So when you, when you add the header, there's some MTU considerations. And so I, I just say yeah. this because I had this really interesting problem and it's completely unrelated to MPLS. I'm going to share it anyway. I think I've shared it on the show before, actually. Uh, we, had, we had some changes in the way that things routed in a network I was working in. We started pushing some traffic, you know, a, a direction through a pop that became like transit where it wasn't transit before. And all of a sudden we had like big file transfers that were just failing. And like we're trying to track down why. I find out that I'm trying to send traffic at the full MTU, and it just is just falling apart. Once we get past, of course, 20 bytes less than full MTU. And what had happened is a previous engineer had turned on MPLS on the link without really knowing what was going on. I guess either testing or trying or whatever hadn't affected MTU, so MTU was still 1500, and we were trying to send, you know, 1500 byte you know, uh, packets through something, adding a header and anything that was large scale was passing through. So I don't, you know, I am only bring it up because it's funny because it's yeah. just scarred on me. Right. Uh, I don't recommend turning it on without thinking about it. But the idea, it, you know, speaking to what Nick was saying is that, you know, your network will function very much the same with MPLS on or off, so long as you factored in those things like MTU. Yep. Um, if you turn it on on top of just a regular IGP network, because it, what will happen is it will just start forwarding based off of frames rather than IP destination, uh, completely. We'll just start doing lookups based off, of, okay, I need to send to this router. What's the label I need to put on there? Yeah.
3: There are some interesting, uh, one particular use case that I used to solve a problem for a friend uh, in South America who had some really poor BGP design. Uh, it was a non-MPLS network. There were some uh, route deflection, and for those unfamiliar with that term, uh, we'll use the United States as an example. Suppose I have some POPs in the uh, U.S. East Coast that are paired to a, a route reflector on the West Coast, and suppose I have some POPs on the West Coast tied to a route reflector on the East Coast, what you can end up with is both those routers think that the shortest path to the egress point outside of RAS is through the middle, and then you end up with some routing loop in like Kansas City or whatever. I'm just a really brief example. This is an example of a problem where if you just go to your network and you just turn on MPLS, the problem goes away completely. Now, I'm I'm not saying it it doesn't fix your bad design by any means, but if you do that, you won't have a (laughs) Because When traffic comes in the network, even though it's only one label deep, your traffic will be tunneled across the network inside of MPLS. Now, I'm not saying that's the right answer, and I'm not suggesting that you do that in production, but it does work. It is the 10 minute answer to a, a potentially very devastating problem. So keep in mind that I'm not trying to position, I'm not trying to say MPLS is great because it solves that corner case, Um, but just kind of as a a comical counter argument to Jordan's comical story about why it's a bad idea.
1: Sometimes (laughs) Nick is Nick, Nick, Yeah. Nick Nick is inventing CCIE scenarios on the fly here on that. That
3: was actually a real life scenario. No, no, I understand. That's going to be on the CCDE. Ah, yeah. Now that I said it. it, Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) When, When, when can you turn on MPLS and solve a network design problem? Go watch the Network case. Collective episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so I have a question, guys. Um, we, we talked about like all these different mechanisms uh, for, for allocating. So we have LDP, whereas, you know, um, and I, I guess we can stop mentioning TDP, right? Like that can go away now. Yeah, 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 yeah that's, okay, that's out, okay. We don't talk about that anymore. Um, you can get it through BGP. You can get through a number of mechanisms. So, like, is there a prioritization list? Is there something that, like, how do you how do you determine if you have a label for multiple mechanisms?
3: That's a great that's mechanism a, is used. Yeah, that's a great that's a great question because this is a very important point. Everything is based on the IP routing table especially when it comes to transport labels. So for example, if I'm a router and I have uh, an OSPF route for a prefix and I have a EBGP route for a prefix, and let's just, because I'm a Cisco guy, let's call it a Cisco router or comparing administrative distance, I'm going to prefer the EBGP route. That means that I can go, I'm, you know, MPLS never overrides the routing table, doesn't change it. That means I'm going to send traffic to that BGP peer. That means that if I actually want to have a label switch path across those nodes and across the network. Uh, of which those two nodes may be in the center, I need to have received a BGP label from that peer to use it. What you can't say is, uh, let's say I, to my BGP peer, I don't have label exchange, but to my OSPF peer, I do. The, the router's not gonna say, oh, well, I read, my, I, read the, I read the network engineer's mind and he wants me to send traffic over the OSPF link because uh, there's a label switch path there and not over BGP, wrong. If you learn the, if you learn the route from BGP, you must have label from BGP. If you learn the route from IGP or static, you must have a label from LDP, notwithstanding segment routing. So it's a very important rule when you're doing this kinds of thing is it's going to be based entirely on the routing table. If I go in and I change the BGP administrative distance to be greater than OSPF's 110 as default in Cisco devices, then I will prefer the OSPF route, which means I need to have an LDP from that OSPF peer, which is now the shortest path in the network. So the labels and, don't. And I, can't, the I can't
0: help myself because we have intent-based networking now. So I thought the router could read the network engineer's mind.
3: That might be possible. <laughs> <laughs> there well be, but, it, but in, in whichever <laughs> the, there. the label doesn't determine the forwarding path. We, we kind of have the, We have the cause and effect backwards. The forwarding path determines which label gets picked.
0: Sure. That's right. Yeah. It's order of operations. Right.
3: Yeah, so <laughs> MPLS just enables an encapsulated path across an existing IP routed network. So, if your routing is, that's why it's so important that if you don't really understand routing and you have just a, a very basic understanding of it, you really don't want to dive into MPLS at all because you're just going to hurt yourself really badly. You need to have a solid understanding <laughs> of routing because MPLS. Is
1: this <laughs> will cause pain. <laughs> it will. No, it's true. It's, it's true. true. But I mean, understanding it's the word operations is really it important. Is. I, look up the, I look up the path I want to take, and then if I have a label. I use the label. If this link is enabled for MPLS, this router has sent me a, a label for this particular uh, prefix, I'm going to attach that particular label, right? Yeah. And so the, the route lookup is first, the MPLS label is second. The, the label mechanism is just, it's just a faster or what was initially a faster way to look up.
3: Right. What to do, That's right. To do and, with this packet. and that information gets written down to the fib or the alpha, depending on which way the traffic is going and what the input tra- traffic looks like. But you know, I look up the routing table and then I say, for all my LDP, let's say we're talking about IGP. I say, I have an uh, OSPF peer with this neighbor. I need to look in my, uh, my list of LDP peers. I find the peer. I say, do I have LDP enabled on that specific interface? And for that IP next hop, uh, has that peer said that that is a next hop I can use for LDP? And if I have a label for it, I take those two things and I write it to the FIB. So the FIB knows the layer two rewrite information, the egress label, the egress interface, probably some hmm. other stuff that Rust can spout off. But that's the, that's the meat of it.
0: <laughs> Rust didn't start spouting. No, 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 no,
1: no. Rust didn't take the bait. Yeah, no, Rust didn't take the bait that time. Um, but it's
2: probably interesting. To talk uh, I'm still bit. I'm still thinking so. about intent and the the router yeah. knowing. Oh, you completely <laughs> railed him away. <Milan.
1: laughs> <laughs> he just he's gone now.
3: It's, we're done.
1: <laughs> <It's just laughs> the
2: rest of the show.
3: <laughs> we, don't, we don't need MPLS if we have intent networking because then we can just you know just tell you know teleport packets around so now,
2: now the problem is is that if jordan and yvonne are both thinking about how they want the traffic to flow, there must be an administrative distance between intents mm, yeah oh, right there, always prefer yvonne
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, let me tell you now if you're
2: applying ad to your to your network prefer
1: yvonne over me every time every time <laughs>
3: It's probably, what do you think, Russ? I think it's probably good to talk a little bit about some of the extensions to BGP that supported uh, label exchange, both for VPNs and for label. Yeah, data. yeah,
2: sure, sure. Well, we, we haven't talked about like the forwarding rules, routing via static, you know, penultimate hop popping, which is people freak out about. Oh, yeah. I, that's one of my favorite terms in all of networking,
1: penultimate yeah. hop popping. Yeah, I mean, you can't say that without enunciating it. I mean, you yeah. have to be intentional. <laughs> Yeah. But, or, smiling, right? your, or smiling yeah. yeah i mean it's it's there it, it, well, i mean yeah it, it's almost like uh like not so stubby area there's just a couple terms in networking that exactly. are just you know like wait a minute who thought this up but penultimate hop Popping somebody
2: oh, didn't, didn't I tell you? I got a review on, on advanced IP network design on Amazon where I had made up this thing because there's so many different area types in OSPF. I actually made one up like not so stubby on Tuesdays or something stupid like that. And someone actually reviewed the book on Amazon and said, This person doesn't know OSPF because the, 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 these area types don't exist.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> but, but the thing is, is that 99% of your readers read it who said. That's completely possible because I have a a <laughs> totally not so stubby area. I'm gonna go surfing and drink my, you know, whatever afterwards. Like, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that was a that was complete rabbit trail. I, was, I think
3: I, can, <laughs> I, I probably describe penultimate hot popping in about a sentence. The idea of penultimate hot popping is, if I'm at the end of a label switch path, I'm at the end of one of the layers of abstraction. Because remember, MPLS labels can stack when I'm at the end of this level of abstraction, there's not really any value for that router right before me to perform a label swap. So if I if the prefix is directly connected to me, or uh, it's an aggregate prefix, then I need to do a lookup on the next lower level label, or if it happens to be the bottom of the stack, then the IP before V6 prefix, I need to do a, low, a lookup on the next level down anyway. So it doesn't really make sense for you to do a swap, and then I just have to You know, look at the topmost label, discard it, and then perform a second lookup. So I'm going to signal to you using a special label value, specifically three, which is implicit null. It's a signal to the upstream LSR that says perform a pop action, which is remove the topmost label and send me the rest. I don't care about what the next bottom label is. Don't even look at it. Just remove the topmost. It's like, you know, open up the can and, and hand it to me. Don't even look at it because I know what to do with the rest of it. Now, when you stack labels, the assumption is that that next label that gets exposed to you is one that you allocated across the network some other way. And this is again, when we start to talk about hierarchical uh, MPLS work, for example, MPLS VPNs is probably the simplest example that we'll talk about shortly, where this starts to make a lot of sense. The only way it can possibly work though, is if the label that gets exposed to me is something that the guy way at the other end of the network at the other end of that abstraction had received that label and had pushed it appropriately. Otherwise, everything will break. Now, in general, this happens automatically. You don't need to manually think through all this kind of stuff if you have your configuration correct, but it's important to understand how that works. Viewing MPLS, and again, Russ and I may disagree on the exact word, but I'm gonna use the T word. If you view the MPLS tunnel between the two endpoints, <laughs> the label has to be exchanged between that level of indirection. <laughs> just kind of think of it that way. Whether it's a tunnel or not, different story, but- Wow, we
1: just got into religion. <laughs>
2: We <laughs> should <hope this> also <laughs> start talking
1: about what layer this all runs at, right? Because that's the other religion. No, I don't even <laughs> know. Oh my <laughs> goodness!
2: Yeah, but see, that's another failure of the OSI model, and where the Rhino model is much better because it actually describes how MPLS fits a lot better than than OSI does. <laughs> yeah. So,
3: so I me mean, say about it, the
2: tunnel. The tunnel is it's not the protocol that's a tunnel; it's the use the usage that's a yes, tunnel. Yes, I
3: agree with that. Yep.
1: Right, because we're not, we're not taking we're not we're not taking the data and uh, like obfuscating it from every hop along the path. It's still completely wide open. Anyone can look past the header or I'm sorry, past the, you know, the MPLS label and look at the rest of the data. So when you say, when we talk about tunnels, we think about tunnels as like, we're going to take this thing. We're going to obfuscate it from the rest. Nothing else can do act on any of the information in there. And it's just going to go to whatever the endpoint of the tunnel is become de-encapsulated and go somewhere. Right. But that's not what this is. This is, we're adding a special header that, that changes the behavior, but it doesn't really tunnel it or obfuscate well, it depends. or change
2: it. Uh, right. So this, so this is where it gets into the question of the layering thing, which Nick talks about, which is that to me, if you're switching on the outer label, that's not a tunnel. Cause you're switching on it, right? You're actually making a foreign decision based on that outer label. The inner label, however, is a tunnel. Why? Because that's, obf- you're not touching that. That's like, you know, that's hiding the IP packet behind it. So that's where I get into this thing of, it's the function, it's not the protocol. That's, that's how I get into that. Right, whole. you can tunnel As with
1: MPLS, MPLS think, itself isn't a tunnel.
3: I think the safe and factual answer would also be, even if you don't call it a tunnel, like a noun, the verb you are tunneling, I think is still valid because in the, in the, uh, you know, the use case you set up, the CCIE type use case, clearly I had a routing, I had an IP based routing loop in the network that I fixed by tunneling across it, using a single label depth. Is it a tunnel? Maybe not the noun, but I certainly did tunneling to solve the problem. So that's where Networking things- Networking
0: and grammar.
3: Interesting. In yeah, <laughs> well, I, 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 I like to call it, i okay, tunneling that. and encapsulation <laughs> technology. I, I, might, I might stop short of calling it a tunnel, uh, but Net- I think in general, it's pretty straightforward.
1: Networking just loves these pedantic obscure yeah like like details because you know but it matters right because it matters is it a tunnel or is it not it helps us understand how the thing works it's not really a tunnel like the way it works it's not really a tunnel right but 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 we can make it run like a tunnel i get it like i get why there's the argument
3: there but yeah clearly we're tunneling right i don't think there's any question that that's what we're doing at least that's how i view
2: it um, and I think that's no, all right. Uh, so, so I think Yvonne said it earlier dirty dishwasher. Is that what, dish, dishwater is? we yeah, <laughs> <you're laughs> dull at like dishwater. Just
0: a now. note this is not the conversation to have in front of your executive leadership about whether MPLS is a tunnel or not a tunnel. Oh, I'm you that's know, right. <laughs> Have it at lunch with your fellow network engineers. Your executive leadership It's, it's is entertaining. entertaining. I,
1: I, I still don't think you have this conversation. Yeah. But I, like, <laughs> I don't think it really matters. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, no, I, don't,
3: I don't put too much thought into it,
0: but
3: <laughs> I, think, I think it might be valuable to, uh, to help expand on now that we've talked about the, had the tunneling thing out of the way to talk a little bit about VPNs. And when we talk about VPNs, this is, I think, one of the most important use cases for MPLS, or, or, or at least say most common, whereby I can have some general purpose transport network, shared infrastructure, and I can have individual customers or tenants multiple tenants that can hang off it. So for example, the the example I like to use would be uh, like you go to the airport and you go to rent a car and there's probably six or seven companies at most major airports that are all right next to each other. They're all direct competitors. Uh, What we don't want to do or what those individual organizations probably don't want to do is build seven completely different networks to transport all of them when a large service provider can come up and put a point of presence somewhere in that area, those individual tenants can tie in. They're all tied into their own corporate environments. They have no access to each other's data. And just because they happen to be geographically co-located in their area of business where they try to make sales and et cetera, uh, they're not necessarily sharing information. But they're all on the same shared infrastructure all packets from all seven of those customers are interleaved and mixed together on this whole network, but kept virtually separate by way of the MPLS encapsulation. So that's kind of the, the high level idea of how MPLS VPNs are meant to work. And in uh, Within the context of how the MPLS operation works is when a customer sends traffic into that provider edge. So I send an IP packet from, I don't know, Hertz National, goes and hits that provider edge. A provider edge is going to do a few things. One of the most important things when you learn about BGP, even outside the context of MPLS is recursive routing lookups. So if I have a route, I do show IP route on a Cisco device, I get some, some prefix back. I need to look at the next top of that prefix and continuously do show IP route over and over and over again until I hit a connected route, and then I can do my layer two lookup, you know, MAC address, ARP, whatever. No different in MPLS. The only difference, and this is another key point, is that for every routing lookup you do, one label will be pushed. So if you sit there and you have to do show IP route three, four, five times, that's how many labels are going to be pushed at that node. Within the context of a kind of a vanilla MPLS layer three VPN, you'll have a BGP route to the end of the network. And we can talk a little bit about how that design works. Uh, that will have a next hop of a remote provider edge. So the MPLS router at the other end of the network will be the BGP next hop. And we push our first label, which will be the bottom most in the stack. We do our second route lookup. We expect to see in the global routing table, one of our core IGP routes like OSPF or IS to IS. That's when we push our second label over top of that. And then we send traffic into the core of the network where it gets swapped across the network. At the penultimate hop, we pop the top most label, revealing the bottom most label to the egress PE. This is important because the, con- the comment I made earlier was, Doing penultimate hot popping only works when those two routers at the edge of the network. So in this case, the ingress and the egress PE have already agreed on what the labels are going to be for the prefix that they transport. The egress PE tells the ingress PE, hey, I can't really see you over there, but when you send me traffic, use label five thousand. Because that PHP router is going to reveal label five thousand to me. I can do a lookup on it and I know to send it to Hertz or National or whoever it is. And and how
2: and how is that label carried across the network since they're not connected to each other?
3: Oh, yeah, so carried over BGP with the IP v4 right. VPN, oftentimes VPN v4 extensions. With, with a different address family to carry yeah. it. Different address family. And there's really two main changes in it. VPN v4, VPN v4 carries routes inside of a VRF, so a virtual routing forwarding instance of a VPN table. And the two interesting things that has been extended to carry MPLS labels. And the next hop is in the global routing table. So that's how we can kind of move between tables seamlessly using MPLS as an encapsulation to make that work. And we just have another BGP address family for that. So we can seamlessly carry that across our network. We don't need to run BGP all through the core because again, we can tunnel or use tunneling to move, to move customer traffic across the network, maintaining a BGP-free core and just simple MPLS and IGP in the core.
2: That's and the now somebody, carry- somebody, somebody listening to this is gonna say, that's all great, Nick, but now I have SD-WAN. And, yeah. I don't need
3: and I would probably say that <laughs> so you're going to stop ordering pizza. And you know, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me try to say this a little bit smarter. When we talk about MPLS, oftentimes in the enterprise space, when we, when we say, oh, you should get rid of MPLS, <laughs> it doesn't even make sense because MPLS is a tunneling and encapsulation technology. Like if you're talking about comparing SD-WAN versus a private WAN service, whether or not MPLS is the underlying technology is completely irrelevant. Just because it's used for the private WAN technology does not take away from the value that MPLS brings as a tool to solve business problems. So we've conflated the design uh, we've we've completed, we've completed the fact that MPLS is commonly used to do private WAN, therefore we'll attack that. It's almost like a straw man. We'll attack MPLS, not the expense of private WAN sure. to the, bolster the, SD-WAN. It's a very poor argument.
1: The dirty secret is that, you know, SD-WAN has learned how to do this and likely under the hood is doing very much the similar thing that MPLS is really doing. In yes, that's right. 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 So, so, so like, what this really, yeah, what this uh, really to is. Yeah, SD-WAN, SD-WAN is just an abstraction. The, the yeah, that's thing, right. Like, yeah. It's, this stuff can get really complicated. We've talked about a lot of nuances in this show, and we're going to do another show on MPLS as well. Where we're going to get into even more nuance. Probably, probably two more at the rate yeah, we're maybe, going. Yeah, maybe two more. <laughs> <laughs> but, so like, you know, SEWAN or, or any abstraction, when we talk about it, doesn't, doesn't displace the technology. Abstraction doesn't remove the technology. It doesn't remove the complexity. It doesn't really change anything. What it does is it changes the presentation to the end user. And so yep. when we talk you you, like SD-WAN, I completely agree with you, Nick. Like it can't be, like, it can't be emphasized enough. It, SD-WAN does not displace MPLS. SD-WAN takes MPLS and the concepts of MPLS and makes them easier to consume. That's all yep. it
3: does.
2: So, so what basically happened was, is many, many years ago when MPLS first started being deployed by a lot of providers, is that the marketing people said, how can I explain this virtual private circuit or this virtual private network technology or this idea to my customers? And what can, what can, what can I attach to it to make it sound really cool? So they, they attached MPLS to it. So then all of these VPN services became MPLS services. So now when the SD-WAN guys came out, they said, well, get rid of MPLS. And then people said, well, I can get rid of my MPLS services. That means I can get rid of my MPLS. Well, no, they're not the same thing. They're different things. Right. Well, this is a huge,
1: huge distinction as well, right? Like, and this is confusion. And this is confusion for people who don't really understand. This is the whole I haven't been around long enough or done enough to understand the difference. But the idea is that when you buy MPLS service, right? When you pay for MPLS service, you're paying for someone else to manage this technology, right? Like paying for everything that we've talked about. We've talked about it from kind of the concept of if we're going to implement it. So as if we're going to, if we're going to do it, when you pay for MPLS, you're paying someone else to implement it for you. So you can get rid of your MPLS circuit. You can get rid of the, the company who's providing you MPLS, but the concept—the concept of abstraction and 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 isolation of traffic, you know, and and a shared medium for for connectivity hasn't gone away, and so you're still going to be doing MPLS or some version of segmentation, you know, via label or route or whatever, some sort of VPN across shared medium. Right.
3: Exactly. Continued. Yeah. But so the real it, thing is, if you want to avoid the expense of private WAN and dealing with carriers and things like that. I, you get no argument for me about the value of SD-WAN. I'm not saying that. Yep, that's saying, right. Yeah, Same as everyone else is MPLS is a technology that's being used. And I feel pretty confident that even if you just get internet links, pretty confident you're going to transit some MPLS routers along the way from a number of different ASs along that yeah, path. That's right. The technology is alive and <laughs> well and solves many problems
2: and on the other side you can offer MP, or you can offer um, L3 VPN or VPN services like virtual private networks using VXLAN or GRE tunnels if you really wanted to Anything like it doesn't that. That, it, that's just like the, that's the way you do it don't don't conflate the technology with the service that's I mean, right. you, you can use a single, you can, you, you can provide a single type of service with multiple technologies. Don't confuse these two but things. We but
0: we do live in a real world where real service providers, they've done this with MPLS and they've sold this yes. MPLS service and That's now right. they're selling SD WAN service instead of selling, you know, a, a private WAN to use mm-hmm. Nick's phrase because they have something new and shiny. Um, but it's interesting because so much of our world is driven by the corner, right? So that when the technology changes, they have to go out and sell you and move you to a whole Mm -hmm. new thing instead of just changing the underlying technology, reaping all those benefits and, and reducing their cost. Um, it's, it's an interesting business conversation, but.
2: No, 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 it is. No, it is. No. And that, and that is, that is a major problem, right? That's a problem with living in a hype driven world, right? That's, you know, we've talked about this in the past that we live in the network engineering world and the network engineering world is um, very hype driven, you know, and why? Because when rule 11 applies, you've got to think of some reason to make your thing different. You've got to reinvent yourself and have a new name. And people don't spend wheelbarrows yeah. of money on
1: incremental upgrades. And
3: that's so we exactly have to
1: we have to come up with new ways to hype up the things we've always done.
3: That's exactly <laughs> right. part of the, the biggest part of the problem in my opinion is not viewing value from the customer's perspective and instead we try to show them everything we did behind the scenes to enable the new service rather than speaking in terms of the customer yeah. value. That's fundamentally how the hype is born, I think. Yeah. And so
0: that's a good on that point. exciting note we are getting long on time so i think we'll wrap it up there um before we go um nick tell us where to find you
3: uh you can find me on linkedin uh also on twitter nick russo
2: 42518 and russ oh rule 11.tech linkedin and always always the network collective right it's true he never leaves that's right. He's can't always here. Can't get rid of them. <laughs> I'm like the house guest that I've always been trying to get rid of. <laughs>
0: no, no. Go ahead, Jordan.
1: Uh, sure, you can find me at my website, JordanMartin.net. I am uh, on Twitter at bcjordo. Uh, I too am always at Network Collective, so you can find <laughs> me here as well.
0: All right. And I am Yvonne Sharp. You can find me on the blog at esharp.net or on Twitter at Sharp Network. I do spend a fair amount of time here at Network Collective um, and we're glad to have you. Um, Hope to see you guys at Interop. Say hi if you see us and uh, we'll see you again soon.